podcast with an exclamation point. My guest this week is Jacob Gallagher. Jacob is the men's fashion editor of Off Duty in the Wall Street Journal. And this week we went deep. Jacob is a writer, but the more I talk to him, the more I believe he's also a bit of a philosopher. We discuss how men's fashion has evolved and how men have changed from it. Let's get to it. All right, I got Mr. Jacob Gallagher. Jacob Gallagher of the Wall Street Journal, of a continuous lean, of what is all the other stuff you've done? Well, I would say, I mean, I was formerly of a continuous lean. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm now only at the Wall Street Journal. Um, I, uh, in the past, of I wrote for GQ.com, I wrote for Esquire.com, I wrote for um, Complex, I wrote for Four Pins, um, I wrote... Um, for god i wrote for vice i wrote wrote, wrote for vice yeah i wrote for i actually i wrote about beer for vice um when they were launching munchies um oh i remember that yeah chris black was nice enough to link me with um a very nice woman who i'm now forgetting her name she's she's still the editor at munchies um which is a a great site i wrote about beer for them just because that was a side interest and i i love doing that and then like a month later, I got the job at the journal and stopped all freelance work. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, but primarily, I would say you are menswear writer, fashion writer. Yes. That that that's that, your expertise. That is that is what I do now. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And I would say also in general, you are um of the people that I know, and I mean this in the best possible way. You're one of the most very candid and opinionated guys i've met like i'm i'm never worried that you're not going to tell me the truth if i ask you your opinion on something um i i don't know if that's the case um i it's funny because i think about this a lot insofar as am i opinionated or am i just trying to be informed so i read a lot and i know a lot about stuff um but my opinions they can be very pointed but i don't know how long they last, you know. Okay. I, I, you know, well, that's good. So you're, you're open. To, you're open to change. Yeah, like it's it's funny. I was um, I was thinking back to like how long I've known you and how um, you know where where my main focus in menswear was then compared to now, um, which I think is true for all of us. Like I think that it's just gotten a lot more broad. So mm-hmm. I I feel very in the moment, if you will. And I think that that also is a reflection of how broad fashion has become now, where it's like, you have to pay attention to everything and kind of you, you have to have an opinion about everything in a certain way. Um, I don't, it's, I don't know how steadfast I am in those opinions, but um, sure. Yeah. Well, it's, I think the funny thing is a lot of us came from this, not echelon, but this area of menswear in which what we liked a lot was, kind of suits and the the Italian sort of the handmade the 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 buy less buy better and I think I think maybe it's that we all got more comfortable in experimenting and also being realizing that it's okay to like these other things um and you know I mean cuz this was all pre people getting into streetwear Rick Owens you know Yeah I mean you you've spoken to Moy you've spoken to Lawrence yeah. um you could have that conversation with any number of us. Um, I don't know necessarily if that's a reflection of our our own whims or if it's just that we were going with the tide. I yeah. mean, that, that's what um, I can tell you that just in regards to how I dressed growing up, like I'm definitely a lot closer to that now. Um, I grew up reading thrasher mag and skateboarding every single day throughout middle school and high school and wh- um, where did you grow up if you I, I grew up in, in bethesda maryland right um and then it was kind of like as i got older i completely rejected all of that and i'm sitting here i'm wearing a hoodie and um those junior jeans and i am i yes they they are my sunday pants um I, dope. I, I i don't feel comfortable <laughs> wearing them at work so i only wear them on sundays um typically but because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of patchwork going on. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, but I think that that's just um, I, that's how I moved personally. But that's also how the industry moved. I mean, that's to, to be frank, like the whenever people talk about this burst of interest in menswear, 
it was centered around sartorial clothing. It was centered around, as you said, Italian suiting and a lot of um, smaller. I don't. I guess the word would be like art, artisans, but I mean, even that's a a little bit of a a myth because like those Italian brands are fairly large. Like a brand like Lubium is still pretty big. Yeah, um, that's right. LBM. That was everybody loved LBM. Yeah, and and so. I think that that's where the interest lied. And then now we're at a point where, okay, so I, I've, I've said this to a lot of people. And again, I, this is what I believe. I, I don't have, you know, evidence on this, but, you know, I'd say that there was this explosion of interest in men's clothing. And then from at least anecdotally, my perception was that, 80% of dudes realized that they could go to J crew or to club Monaco or, or if they knew the right things to buy from like a Ralph Lauren or something like that, or those dudes that were quote unquote interested in men's clothing, they saw that they went there, they became better dressed than 99% of their friends probably. And they stopped. Right. And then the, this other category, 10%, 20%, whatever that figure may be, it might be 2%. I don't know. But those people, and I include myself within that, became interested in high fashion, became interested in, in, in designers. And of course I was interested in that before, but now that interest is, that's a hundred percent of, of what I personally take in. Granted, I should specify right now, that's different than what I cover. I would say, um, you know, I think cover that, for the journal. Yeah. I mean, I think that for the journal, it's my job and it's my duty to, understand that the guy that's reading the paper on the weekend is probably reading about what's going on in Turkey. He's reading about, you know, what he might be cooking throughout that week. He's reading about the Mets box score. Mm -hmm. And then he comes to a page about fashion. Um, I personally don't read the Mets box score so that just the same way, there's probably a lot of guys that read the journal that skip right over my page. Um, but that being said, I think that I have a commitment to that guy to to kind of filter things down a little bit. It's not I'm not writing about Rick. I'm not writing about Vetmont. Um, you know, we'll include a, a passing mention of that just because we have to be aware of that. Right. Um, but by and large, I'm trying to make that guy be the best dressed guy amongst his group of friends or the most you know, fashion conscious guy amongst his group of friends, but he's probably not surrounding himself with fashion guys and i have to be aware of that so i think that i i mean I, i'm totally off on a tear right here but i think that i fall into like i know what i am personally versus you know my reader right well i mean I, that's obviously i think the <laughs> hallmark of good journalism is knowing your audience right yeah yeah and and i think that that's you know that's true no matter what you're covering I, to use sports as an analogy like a you know i think it's an easy analogy like if you ask a sports writer like what they're you know m most curious about about a team that's probably not what they're writing about necessarily because that's their own like insular curiosity um or you know the art world or movies or what have you it's 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 different you have you can explore these kind of smaller cultural centers for yourself but um you know for an audience you kind of have to package it in a way that's most digestible i think yeah and and I think that we are at a very interesting time just to kind of loop back to, um, you know, where the industry has gone. Like, it's so broad now, like trying to figure out, you know, everyone always asks what's next or what's happening next and this, that and the other. And it's like, well, I don't think anything is actually next anymore. Like, I think that we're beyond that idea because there's we went through the Italian suiting movement. We moved into this kind of, you know, people wanted to peg it down as athleisure. They wanted to peg it down as like street. They wanted to peg this very specific, you know, eight months to a year or, or maybe even pushing two years as like the Gucci moment, the maximal moment. But like all that can happen at the same time, it can all exist and it doesn't have to be the one thing. You know, you look at what's happening with Gucci, that's an incredibly successful business. That's also an incredibly important aesthetic for right now. But that's not, that doesn't have m much to do stylistically with like this push from Vetmont, which is also 
really successful right now and also really moving the needle. But then at the same time, you have like a lot of people that are bouncing back into street where like hard street where like right. whether that's Supreme or whether that's like Stussy just kind of suddenly becoming really cool again, which to me is bizarre in and of itself. Or it's people wearing like Thrasher, like all those things can be happening at once and those i'm not listing those off because they're things that i necessarily would get behind any more than the other but those are like the three biggest trends right now or or what have you but this era of an overarching trend it's like we're not gonna go back to that again because i think that like the people that became interested in fashion it's a smaller group and it's much more voracious so it's just burning through things and trying like trying to just go through and see what's out there. Um, and that means different things for different people. Hmm. Well, I mean, geez, there's a lot of good I'm nuggets so, of information sorry, on even, there. I don't even know what you asked. No, I'm well, sorry, I'm sorry that I went off on a terrible. No, no, yeah. it's great. Uh, well, let's, I want to go, I want to go back just a, a hair okay. a bit because, you know, like I was saying, I, I think you're, you've always been very well informed. You, you know, keep a very neutral stance on a lot of things in terms of like looking at, okay, you know, what, what would make this brand unique or what would make this unique? Uh, and I kind of want to get like, how did that, that stance, you know, form? And so like, what, what made you get into, so you grew up in Maryland and what, what made you get up and get into menswear in general or fashion per se? Um, it's the very cliched answer of that. It was my dad. Um, and that, that, he, um, when I was growing up, wore a suit every day and was very aware of it. And and I used to say that that was like what really influenced me. And blah, you know, blah blah blah. It actually, if I'm being more honest with myself, was was probably that he, the things he would say to me based on how I was dressing, which like I was just this like very. I was actually just talking to my parents about this over Thanksgiving they love bringing this up. Like I was dirty. I was like legitimately not a well-kept human. Um, dirty, like, like unclean. <laughs> I would wear like, re- like just gross, gross hoodies and like gross jeans and things. Cause I was, I was just a skate kid that liked to, to just, I fell a lot. Things were ripped a lot. Like things just were really right. And, and even thinking back to like, this is a, a very weird example, but like, when I was in my early teens, I went to the dermatologist and straight up told him that I didn't care about washing my face. And then, like, a year later, I just was had, like, horrible acne. <laughs> and, like, was so stupid. But I, I, for some reason, just really didn't care. And my dad would have these conversations with me and be like, you, you realize that, like, you're really, like, unattractive. Like, I don't know if he used the word unattractive, but just, like. Thanks, Dad. He, no, but he, but he, I mean, he was right. Like. I, at that time, just did not care at all about what my outward appearance meant. Just did it. It didn't matter to me. Um, and I think him saying that to me, like somewhere along the way, that little nugget of like what you're wearing is like unkempt or like, dirt. I think he, he did use the word dirty a couple of times and like sure. that. And, and, and I feel like I'm painting my dad. My dad is amazing. No, I've I met your not, father I'm Incredible not, man. I'm not painting him as like some, some bad guy, but I think he was just like bewildered. I mean, could you imagine you, you look at your kid and you're like, I'm trying to be this great example for you of like how to present yourself in the world. And you're just like, we go to restaurants. You will not take off this like Ramones hoodie that has holes everywhere. Like, what are you doing? Dad and punk rock, okay? I I don't know what I was. I was very confused. You're the establishment. (laughs) But but yeah, as much as the man can exist in suburban Maryland. um, But I I think that that triggered something in my head. And then somewhere along the way, I started caring. And um, I, I... It's very kind of you to say I'm well-informed. That's what I strive for. That's kind of what I've always taken the approach of when writing about clothing is it comes down to how much can I take in and and how much can I understand how, you know, this field is so rich. There's Mm -hmm. so much that has happened throughout time in regards to clothing, and I will always be endlessly interested in that. And I think that that's why, as you said, like, I'm – you use the word neutral – that's again, I think that that's very kind. I think that there are times that I get caught up in certain 
trends or, or I, I over invest mentally thinking like this is really cool and then a few months later look back and I'm like well that that wasn't but I think that the the neutrality comes from just having to do that you know there's there right. is so much out there I'd rather be informed and a little bit more passive than be very very niche like I I don't understand people that only learn about I mean only know of like Rick or only know of like, and I, and I pull that example out because that's a very specific example. Like if that's only your focus then that's great for you, but that's, there's so much more out there to me. Um, so to, to get back to what you asked, like I, I started writing, um, really also to my father's credit, he, he was, I, I very much remember a conversation between he and I, um, where he said, you know, have you tried writing about this stuff? You're interested in it. Um, I was floundering a little bit insofar as trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Was this post-college? This, this was high school. It's, it, it all blurs because I went to school in the city. Um, and again, much to my parents' credit, they were like, go get a job. Like they were like, your life is super expensive. And like, (laughs) you can't use our money, go get a job. So I started working at clothing stores. Um, and I mentioned that because I was working at a store called Epaulette, um, which still exists. It's, it's shout out Michael cool. Yeah. I don't even, I never know how to say his last name. Cool. Cool. Okay, cool. 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 I, I, it's, it's weird that I don't remember. He was my boss for (laughs) uh, quite a few years. Um, but um, I worked there and um, had been writing this little blog on the side. And um, then I was lucky enough that one day Sean Hotchkiss, who um, really was just the kindest guy in the world to me, he had, he came into the store. I'd met him a couple times and he offered me to write a job on or to write a job. Uh, to write a little column, if you will, on GQ. And that was kind of how it started. He was running GQ.com at the time. This was very much the, like, heavy sartorial, like, very, like, there was so much interest in, in this foundational menswear. And I wrote this column about, um, like, terms, more esoteric terms and explaining them. And it was uh, called Drop of Knowledge. Yes. So, so I that was what I would say. In regards to breaks, that was a great break because um, I was writing. I mean, I was writing for GQ. It was it was very cool, yeah. and that I think was a, at a time when there were so many eyeballs on that website. Because, as you well know, guys were getting really interested in clothing, and there were all these outlets online. And I think the web was really where people were looking to get that information. And it worked out great that I that I wrote for GQ. After that, I started picking up more jobs and slowly built from there. Um, fr- freelancing was tough. I, I yeah, the life of a freelancer in New York City or, or just period in, just general, in general is very tough in terms of like getting paid and you know. I mean, I've been there before with like watch stuff and yeah, it's and it's it's, it's, tough. it's funny because I I. I I guess I wouldn't say funny because it's there's really no humor in it, but um, a lot of those people that that were great freelancers here in the city in regards to clothing don't don't do it anymore. Um, yeah, or they um, have taken on full time jobs. Um, there's a it's New York is uh, was once I think the most fallow ground for you know young writers and people being interested in clothing and, and what have you, and um, it's sat, there's no there's no one there that's writing anything and i think that that's also hard because all of those outlets that existed online whether it was you know a blog or something like four pins or something like you know gq.com it, it, you know back then when they were just hiring a lot of more freelancers um th- those sites are gone those outlets are not there anymore so i can understand why like s- my path you know, once I came through that path, the door probably closed behind me a little bit. Um, I was probably one of the last people that was able to, to find that those, you know, editors that easily and just be like, Hey, like I'll, I'll write for your site. Like, I mean, I wrote for a lot of different sites during yeah. that time. So, but I don't see a lot of people doing that anymore. Certainly not, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot, I don't know. I would say there's a lot more noise out there now. Right. I mean, uh, so many 
I mean, retail companies have their own blog. Yeah. And. But it's funny. You look at who writes for those and. Well, it's, it's super skewed, right? I mean. Skewed how? Well, I would say skewed, like, say, a retail company. I mean, obviously, they're going to talk about. I think it's stuff like their their audience is like, well, we want to sell this to you. Like, you know, when J. Crew does, you know, like, hey, here's our, this is how you should wear your trousers and wear our trousers, the Bowery mm-hmm. trousers or whatever. And while I think that that's fun and interesting, I guess, like, it used to be like back in the day, and I'm sure you deal with this at the journal too, like there's, in news in general, you have A, B, and C, and now you have so many options and because of those options a lot of that stuff occasionally gets a little bit um i don't know it's i almost equate it to when pro tools existed so it's like all these people can write and maybe they shouldn't have i mean but See, that, i don't know i i would not take that stance um if only because like that's they're entitled to do that you of know course. like like i think that world building in regards to brands and in regards to just carving out like who we are like that that's not something that's talked about as openly i think but this idea that like these brands are really trying to like be a person like Mm -hmm. and and even saying that feels those words feel very strange in my mouth like because J. Crew's huge. That's a huge company. And then you go on their website and they do a very good job of this. Like, it sounds like your big brother. Like, yeah. like vocally, like, or I should say tonally, the the tone of that is, is it should be appreciated for that. Um, I personally don't know how much impact, like you said, like a post that they do of like, this is how you wear our pants. I don't know how successful that actually is. Um, it, it, and, but I will say that some a website like Mr. Porter, like I think that that is a great publication. Um, I think that they do a very good. Even job. though Mr. Porter is a is a e commerce site, I just just for people. Yeah, who don't know. yeah. I, and and Mr. Porter is an e commerce site. It's a very, again, very broad. Yep. Their 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 selection is so big that I think that they really shifted what retail looks they like for headphones. men. <laughs> well. <laughs> They sure they sell headphones, but like it's to me, it's it's the more important distinction is like they sell, you know, Bottega Veneta, and they sell they sell Stussy, they sell Vans, and they sell like they sell Vans, yeah, and wow. they and and they sell J Crew, but then they also sell like, you know, they do sell Gucci, they sell Vemont, they sell like incredibly high end stuff as well, and I think that this is a little bit of of an aside, but like that really changed what retail looks like um and and just because they were able to have such a broad assortment that the trickle down from there across boutiques whether they're in chicago or new york or paris or or or, you know des moines or what have you um they had to respond to that because they're they're competing with the web they're competing with mr porter um and when you can literally get anything on there seemingly anything yeah that really changes the game. Now, to the point about their journal, like I think I like the route that they've taken um, with the informative the infor- route. Well, the informative route, but also like it's it's incredibly eclectic. Like I think David Coggins just wrote like something about fly fishing for them, and yeah, you can say that there's like a little bit of you know, I don't want to say phoniness or something, but like that that it it might be a little bit less than genuine because like they are trying to sell you something but like that's the that's the reality of the world we live in like uh, I, I not to be so glib about it but like they're they're just trying to build up this persona and frankly with more and more publications going away like i'm glad that there still is some kind of information like that out there um i think that that stuff is interesting that they cover but um well mr porter at least for me feels somewhat different considering they're not a like single brand retailer yeah thank you right yeah yeah so they you know the stuff that they'll push if they're pushing an idea of so like what was it that the most recent mail or whatever they sent out was uh this wool shearling jacket and they had a tom ford version and they had a saint laurent version and at least that to me 
you know, obviously they're still trying to push product and you're right. People Mm -hmm. want to sell something to you, Mm -hmm. but I was like, okay, I can get it. And I think you hinted on something that I'd love to go a little bit deeper on of how, you know, and this is where, again, I was talking about how informed you are. Uh, Like, how do you think that amazing sites that can sell very exclusive pieces? uh, And when I mean exclusive, I mean like, you know, there's not going to be a Colette that pops up in Des Moines, right? But now that the internet exists, and I mean, obviously it's existed for a while, but now that Mr. Porter exists and Mm -hmm. they're selling that and they'll ship it there, it, you know, one of the crazy things about the fashion was great because it was exclusive, right? And now you can get this via any city that has a mailing address. Do you think that that's negatively impacted some of these brands? Now, um, or that it's it's benefited everyone or well, i mean what 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 are your thoughts on that i think that it has um see i don't know negative impact is is hard to to gauge um yeah i i really i it's i don't really know the answer and and i think that you said the word exclusive and i thought you were going to take this question in, in a different route which is like I think that the notion of exclusivity is going to become all the more important from like from brands and from what stores offer. Like I, you can already see this in, in New York, we have a surprisingly few number of good stores, I think, or or of stores that offer something that is worth visiting. Um, Right. But London has a great range of that. Actually, there's stores like Hostum um, that offer like designers that you can't really find anywhere else. I wish we had more of that in New York. And I think that that's probably like the way forward is whether it's product or whether it's like an individual designer or, you know, a a very, very honed in aesthetic, like brands, stores, they're going to have to differentiate themselves in that manner because this they're competing. and, And I feel the same way with, you know, what I end up covering. It's like, there's so much out there. Yeah it's very hard to say like what you should be getting behind. I mean, I think that um, that's why I feel very fortunate to be where I am to know, like I, I, there's so many trends I could cover that my readers would just see right through. So like that already takes away a huge swath of what's out there. And then what's left is like what I focus on. I think that for stores, they have to go through that that similar process, and right now that's very hard to do. That's, yeah, like we're we're in a challenging moment, I think, for those stores because like you can look at something and be like, "Oh my god!" Like Adidas sneakers are selling out like crazy. We have to get Adidas sneakers. Yeah, and but the way that retail works, like that might work this year. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what's around the corner. Like, what if? And I don't think this is gonna happen. But like, what if you know? hypothetically in a year people don't want sneakers and then you're holding the bag on all these sneakers and yeah. like that, that's tough for us a small single owned retailer exactly and and i think that we i there was just this article that came out that like fashion schools are not gonna teach more on like weather and, and weather forecasting i actually think that's like super important because mm. we're now at a time where like a literal time of it's december it's barely been cold here in new york city yeah we we've only had one day where it's gotten below freezing when i talk to retailers in chicago it's barely been cold there and you think like you're a small store you're holding the bag on like all of these jackets which are could be like 75 80 percent of your yearly buy or your seasonal buy could be in jackets and those are the most expensive items Mm -hmm. so you've just dropped all this money and now you're standing there and you're like, no one is buying jackets and that can cripple a store. And unfortunately, if you're a smaller store, you don't have the luxury of like, oh, but I'll just, we'll always sell, you know, vans or we'll always have like this backup product that we can like have to balance things out for the time being. Again, it's early December. We're already in sales season and you're going to have to discount your most expensive item before people have really even started buying it. I mean, yeah. That's that's very unfortunate, but that's I think that that's where at where we're at. I I also I think that and I and we've seen this wave of interest came with men's fashion. There were all these sites 
we've seen kind of the reckoning, if you will, on on sites and on coverage, and to a certain extent on publications. Um, you know, unfortunately, details has gone away, and um, rest in peace. There's there's been a few other publications that have gone by the wayside, and there's certainly been a lot of online outlets that have have disappeared. So, you know, in within the media, we saw a lot that went away. We've seen some stores close. We've seen some brands start to close. I unfortunately see that happening more. Um, I, I just, I don't think that, um, I think that that narrative of men are so interested in clothing was really nice. That was a very, that was, that was very nice and sounded really great, but that also sounds the same as like a dot-com bubble where it's like, you heard of this thing called the internet? It's great. You should totally get on board with it. And what's different with clothing is like, so if the bubble is slowly bursting, it unfortunately will have to hit brands that have been around for a long time as well. Because I think that there is this struggle to define yourself as a brand right now. Um, You know, we saw it with what happened with Brioni. I mean, they, tried to go in this direction by hiring Justin O'Shea, who had a, had a very impressive background at My Teresa on the women's side, but and was, for lack of a better term, like a street-style star. Um, definitely not an aesthetic that I would have gone in for. It was very Peaky Blinders-esque. So. Yeah, I mean, I can add the color to it. Like, you don't have to. I thought it was horrendous. It was an absolute, like... It was bad. It was really, really bad. I, I think to put it in in, <laughs> in in terms that would be a little bit more grounded, like the Brioni guy was not going to go in for the aesthetic that he pushed, in my opinion. That was my perception, was that the Brioni guy, who really does lean more toward like my father of someone who like wear, does wear a suit every day, needs like a business suit. He doesn't want to be John Barbados or Metallica. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're, you're, and and I think that the proof was in the pudding. Like th- he didn't last long there. Um. And and I I don't know what happened. And and um. I can tell you in hindsight that from the jump I was confused by it. I didn't. I never. Um. It didn't make sense to me. And 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 I I'm I really am glad that they're going to move forward with something different um, because that's a great brand. It has great bones. And I didn't like the fact that it became very like flash in the pan trendy. Yeah. Um, now, granted you could say the word trend and apply that to what is going on at Balenciaga right now with what Demna um, Vasilia, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Who's the designer of Vemont. Like he went over there. He's really changed that aesthetic. That might work. Um, you know, that, that, that might be successful but then there are other brands that are still it's still to be seen what's going to happen um you know we read reports all the time of certain luxury brands especially over in you know uh italy or in or, or france that are having hard seasons um and and have had hard seasons for a few years and i look at a brand like prada which i still think is like the pinnacle like that stuff is i mean that stuff is amazing and i think amazing like what makes it amazing it's i just still think she's such a deaf designer like she can she can really do um uchia prada like she can really do it all in that like they can still cut like that beautiful dark suit that's like just very classic and and very sharp like like timeless euro timeless euro well not even euro chic just like the kind of thing that like it, it it's 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 just a, it it is very exact and it's it's very confident and suiting i think has to have that it has to have that kind of very pointed look to it it has to be whether it's an armory suit or whether it's a prada suit or what have you i think it just ha- it it has to nail what it's going for and she nails that kind of very like I don't want, I hate using the term like I'm, and you can tell I'm like dancing around it. It's like, it's like, that's the suit that you put like any Hollywood guy in and he's, yeah. and he's like perfect. Like yeah. time and time again, you will see if you look at like, whether it's like GQ here or GQ abroad or like, you know, Loma Vogue or, or what have you, there's probably always going to be a celebrity in like a Prada suit. Prada is not going away. It's, it's yeah. not going away, but I look at what she does and it's like her, I think her collections are, are 
always I go over to Europe and what I do when I'm over there is um you know because we're immediate coverage and what I'm seeing when I go over to to Europe and to go to the fashion shows there that's a season's that's a season ahead um of what I cover so do, do I need to explain that further I feel like no like, I, I think it's okay. okay yeah, yeah. so like what I do when I'm there and I'm at the shows is I write down like what the, what the dominant trends are from that season. We publish like a one sheet at the end of it. Prada consistently is doing something different. It's she's doing something that isn't always falling in line with what that trend is for that season. She she always seems to be a little bit ahead. Um, And I think that that, the ability to do that and then also like just have the greatest sweater like you you and i could go to barney's right now she's got like the perfect navy sweater that like the hedge fund guy needs like or or is always gonna go to right and that to me is like that's a that's great business um and unfortunately right now i think they're they are having a hard time though I, i i just went on a tear about them um but that was kind of the point i was trying to arrive at is like I know that their numbers um, financially, they're not doing so great. And I think that a big part of that is that we're at an age where it's like whether your aesthetic is defined as like, you know, severe minimalism or, you know, the maximalism of Gucci, you're most successful if you have like an elevator pitch aesthetic that doesn't really change season to season, it seems. Um well, because I mean, I think it moves so slow, right? I mean, well, people, I I bring this up because like people are get, get on the Kate, get on um, Alessandro Michele, who's Gucci's designer, like they get on his case of like, and I've heard, I don't know if people really get on his case that their business is killing it, but like the one comment that's like the devil's advocate comment about him is like, but it does not move that much season to season. Now, first of all, I think he's starting from a ground from a foundation of like there's already just so much going on yeah that if he was to just completely go er, and you know swerve the car it would be bonkers i mean it already is pretty bonkers what he's doing but like you know what that aesthetic is it's like it's playful it's very very maximal put a snake on it put a snake on it put, <laughs> put snoopy on it yeah. you know put donald duck on it like and and have it be a little bit a little bit femme a little bit like you know, there's a lot of tapestry looks in there. Um, I think it's like a mix of the 90s and the 70s. Well, someone I read, I think it was in the New Yorker profile on him. And there was mention of he has a house in, in I'm I'm probably butchering the story. But the point being, he has a house in like the Italian countryside and it's near an insane asylum. And the way <laughs> that the people dress there is how he styles the show. I th- I believe that that's what I had read. And you say that and it does kind of make sense. It's this very and it's it is it's this very like eccentric Victorian, you know, I could have doodled on my clothes, but they're actually thousands of dollars like derelict. The point being that you can see that that walking down the street and be like, I know what that is. And that to me, that single moment of I know what that is has become I think the guiding light for what makes a lot of brands successful right now or successful within this climate, because again, fashion now or like style now, whatever, like men that care about clothing now, it's all about just diving deeper and deeper into it. But, but being different, but being different, being part of the club. And so like you want stuff that very immediately is like, bam, that's like X designer or that's this designer. Like you can see it in like the head check. If you're wearing like something Supreme or like you're like it, that can happen when you're walking. And yeah. I think that people want that particularly here in New York. Now, I don't think that that has a lot of legs beyond the tri-state area <laughs> environments like ours. I mean, yeah. I think that, um, and that's why if I had to read the tea leaves of like a larger trend, because eventually like what's going on in New York or in urban centers or, or places that are more fashion forward, that's not enough to fuel like businesses at large forever. No, I mean, absolutely, absolutely not. not. So 
I think that we're heading toward a time where like we'll see more drama in mainstream clothing for men. And I, what I mean by that is like, there might be more playful colors. There might be more um, dramatic silhouettes. Like I think that we'll probably, we will move toward a fuller look. Um, If only because there's a lot there. Like I I could talk about why I think that like clothes are going to get wider. I think like there's a multitude of reasons, but I, I think that we will move toward a place where like, men want clothing that's a little bit more out there but not that far afield i mean i think for me like the summary of all like luxury businesses is somewhat never really changed and it's like this beast in that you want like for me like you want to wear x brand because you want to be in a club you want to be included you know like guys don't buy like the average patek philippe buyer of watches do not buy Patek Philippe because they think like, oh man, it's just so well made. They buy it because it's like this pinnacle of luxury. It's why Hermes sells Belle Vest suits and to, you know, for like eight grand, right? And so like they buy it because it's, it's this connection. It's this, yeah, it's this nod. Like no one's buying Supreme because of like how it's well made. You buy it because you want to be accepted. And it's like, yeah. as these, the weird thing is like, yeah, like Gucci's cool and you buy Gucci because it looks like Gucci. It doesn't look like anything else. But you're right, like how does how do any of these brands stay relatively successful um when the whole point is like being unique and but you also you can't just sell one well, and I be th- profitable yeah. and I think that that's the leap that I was kind of missing the, the, there I lost my train of thought a little bit on what I was saying like I think that the the leap is that men that are men are now shopping a lot more like women and that like, it's the bigger pieces, the brighter pieces, like yeah. the things that are like, se- like really like seasonal, like whether it's for this season, like the raft, like oversized, you know, massive down jacket or yeah. like the, you know, Gucci, um, Snoopy sweater or like, you know, the Vetmont sexual fantasy stuff, like whatever you want to call it. Like, and granted I need to specify here. Like I'm literally talking about like the very, you know, top whatever one percent of people that care about fashion that like want that like you know immediate head check of what they're wearing yeah but i would say i think men are gonna get tired of that faster than women do and i think that that's if only because like and and that's not a shot to to women it's like that's just the norm of women's fashion it has been for forever like you have the it bag or you have like the it shoe like those are phrases or like the the dress of the season, like that's stuff that's been in in the consciousness of women's fashion forever. Essentially, mm-hmm. for men, it hasn't been there, so it still is the sense that like you, you men, I think just feel a little bit more ridiculous in that stuff. To be honest, like, or maybe it's that you know next year you're not going to want to you're like, oh you you're still wearing that Snoopy sweater like you're a season late or you're a year late like. And then they get off that, but like, well, it's like Gosha right now. Honestly, I mean, I don't see a lot of dudes wearing the old Gosha stuff. I mean, maybe yeah. the new Fila stuff, which I think yeah. is kind of cool. But like, in general, I don't know. I bought that sweatshirt yesterday, but yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, I, mean, I like the Fila stuff. Yeah, I mean, we and we can we can get back to that. But I think that what I'm just trying to say is like, I, we'll see that that return to like pragmatism, if you will, and like you're gonna still want that head check and still show that you're like conscious and know what's up but you're also not going to want to spend your money on like stuff that in six months you're either feeling ridiculous that you're wearing it because you're standing out too much or you're feeling ridiculous that you're wearing it because you're behind the trend (laughs) and 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 neither of those options are good so i think that's why i say like we'll start seeing more dramatic silhouettes and that being pushed because that's a way to always stand out a little bit Mm -hmm. without going too far or without risking being passe so i think that that's why a brand like comb and if you are friends with me you've probably heard me make this case time and time again recently which is like comb being comb de garçon like i think we're gonna see a big push toward comb de garçon toward yoji again toward this kind of fuller silhouette this drapier silhouette this this look that's but it's also mostly dark clothing it's mostly neutral colors it's mostly 
grays and navies and blacks and there's not a lot of pattern to it there's it's it it feels like fashion like that like you know what i mean like like capital, in the, f, a, a capital f fashion like in the 90s that's like what it was it was like you wore like dark drapey clothing like i don't think we're gonna go totally that way but i think that in a sense we'll see that and you can kind of see that now with the success of a brand like la mer i think really nailed that where it's like they didn't use logos they didn't use you know they don't use like you know crazy colors they, i don't think they they barely use a pattern in there but They've got the pleated pants that are fuller. They have the jacket that has a lot of drape to it. They have this kind of vibe that feels very like apparent that you know what's up, but you're not going to, I mean, you can still wear that and fly incognito if you need to, um, you know, to a certain extent, I think, but. Or you just hover off the radar and wear Prada. Exactly. So we, we got a few minutes left and okay. this is, this has been really this has been a very deep conversation and in a lot of good ways. I feel like I've said nothing good, but okay. No, it's been good. And so I guess, you know, I think it's tough because you have these, these pillars of, or this pie chart of like men's fashion in general. So you have this very, very small percentage that in a lot of ways dictates it's like through telephone, right? So it dictates what a trend uh, should be. But then that person takes it and interprets it to a larger audience and mm-hmm. so on and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. You know, just like how people claimed that, like, you know, Lapo Elkin was this figurehead to of like the colorful menswear movement, which mm-hmm. was watered down, watered down, watered down to, you know, the Bowery pant at J. Yeah. Crew. So, like, would you say maybe like some of the like top edgier stuff would be like from you know, Vetmont, which is then maybe watered down to, I don't know, like Rick, which is then watered down to, but I, I don't know. I guess I don't want to use the word watered down, but just yeah, like, and you also, I think, I think it's very, very important to note that, um, a brand like Vetmont, a brand like Gosha, they're operating on such a smaller scale. That, right. Exactly. And, 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 but and, they have such a powerful, such influence. a powerful influence, but well, they're operating a smaller, a smaller scale, even in comparison to like a lot of the other brands that we have mentioned in this conversation, like mm-hmm. Prada or Gucci. Like they're op- they're huge. Those are those are massive corporations. Yeah. So, yes, does has Vetmont have Vetmont and Gosia had an outsized impact on the look of things right now within the you know fashion upper crust? Sure, p- p- most likely, I would say, mm-hmm. and. If you want to see an example of that, I would say look at like the editorials in certain publications now um, that are, you know, more directional toward that, the oversized aesthetic, that kind of return to like the very 90s logo vibe. Like you can see those things in in other ways um, being interpreted. The trickle down of that is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to tell, to be honest, because aesthetically, some of that stuff is so... It's so like obvi- it's so obvious, and I and I mean things like the the snuffleupagus sleeves, you know, the elephant trunk size sleeves, or yeah. like the like Gosha, you know, in this last collection doing the fila stuff with the Cyrillic underneath for with his name, like that stuff is very. It's a barcode. It's very you can quickly beep. You know, you know, yeah. you know, you know what it is. Um, the trickle down of that is to be seen. I, I honestly, I think that it's 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 hard to tell. I think that you can say that the one trickle, the I would say the two trickle downs I've seen is like brands are are more comfortable. I think now larger larger brands are more comfortable pushing you know logo stuff um, to a certain extent. I think that they're definitely more comfortable pushing a fuller pant. Um, mm-hmm. They're definitely more comfortable pushing a bigger top. I would I would say, but. That's all like, I mean, that's very simplistic language. Like, you know, can I say that Gosha or that, sorry, like the Vetmont's oversized bomber had any impact on the fact that like J. Crew is making a raglan sleeve top coat that fits a lot easier, like a lot looser, if you will. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's like, who's, yeah. who's to say? I mean, you know, that's what's out there. It's also like just that general driving force of like if you 
You know what? I would say that 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 I, I I amend my answer. I would say that there probably is an impact there. There certainly is because if they're driving the conversation and then people are reading about it, then they want to see it reflected in some small way within the store. It's not going to be the incredibly overt look, but it's going to be in a small way. They're going to want to get that within their wardrobe. That's true for people that care about fashion. That is not true for people that have stopped looking or that don't look at that stuff. I think that. Well, those, those are like people who like fashion to them. It, it's what well, fashion doesn't exist to them. It's more like I have to buy this and wear this. So I will buy X jacket, X shirt versus the, someone who's like, I really want to try to be conscious of, of my physical appearance and how I look to yes. the rest of the world. And I don't think we have enough time to go into this conversation, but I think like, so Tom Brown, Eddie Slimane at St. Laurent, like when they pushed the, sh- the small, the shorter suit, the shrunken yeah. suit, that was a real paradigm shift because the trickle down of that was easy to see. That was yes, because, yeah. but what I think happened there was a reframing. This is, I'm, I'm nervous of going down this path, but that was a reframing of male of like a male of male sexuality in a way, I think, and, and, and a reframing of what was attractive on a man and the notion of skinnier, tighter highlighting, you know, the erogenous zones on a man. And the fact that that became like normalized, if you will, that that became to reject that was to appear schlubby. So like we went from, you know, the nineties where things were a lot fuller, they were a lot, you know, bigger Giorgio Armani massive shoulders yeah like like that's what was you know attractive back then was like the big shoulders or the very intimidating look Richard Gere Richard Gere then it became like this kind of skinny suit thing this very this very tight look and that trickled down as you said to like the pants that you could find at J Crew like you still you and I would if we left this apartment right now and walked down the street in Brooklyn that's by and large what most guys are wearing is like tighter clothing because that is within our society what's known as being attractive. Yeah. That I think is where this idea that like what's up top right now, like this oversized baggy look that's being pushed, which I actually hate using the word baggy because I think it baggy sounds like it's just thoughtless. I think it's a lot more considered than just being baggy. It's deliberately oversized. Mm-hmm. That's not attractive. That's not what's known as what's attractive within our culture. You know, to wear, I wear huge khakis. These, I have these Etots khakis that are like as wide as Jinko's probably. I love wearing them. They are incredibly comfortable. They, I think they look, they look very cool for, they like, they look like 1940s bag pants, which I love. I know that. I like that. I have to have to wear them is to have the confidence to be like, not the confidence, because I don't want to say that I ever wear, like, I'm not trying to compliment myself here, but I'm just saying like, when I wear them, I have to acknowledge like, I'm wearing this thing that is deliberately against what's cool, against right. what's like, what what a girl on the street would be like, that's attractive. And that I think, that's a pill that I can swallow. That's not a pill that most guys can swallow. And that's not something that most guys are actively going to be like, looking for within their clothing. Um, we're going very far off here, but like there was this sense of like, I think it happened within women's fashion to be like, like there's a website called the man repeller. Like that happened in women's fashion. And then, and then that, that did trickle down over there. I think that again, if you and I left here and went and walked around New York, we'd see a lot of women that were wearing, that would be wearing clothing that 10 years ago, would have been known as being very unattractive. I think, I think like there's, we're at a time where like women's fashion is very inelegant. You know, it's like literally cut jeans. Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's the, the boyfriend look. It's the boyfriend yeah. look. And like, you know, military jackets that don't seem to fit right on you, but that's like, what's attractive. Cause it has confidence in this, that, and the other. Yeah. Like I don't need to have my body look a specific way to, uh, to appease you exactly and that yeah. that's a very simple kind of like one sentence on women's fashion to try to wrap that up but like i think in men's fashion like we're just i i don't i don't know where it goes on a larger scale because i don't think that we're gonna see a shift like that again like i i think that with tom brown 
and and Eddie Slamane and like put really putting like a lot of like weight behind them. Like I think that it's well deserved. Like they really did change like the way that we think about mm -hmm. you know that stuff. Um, but they, I mean, the good thing about those guys is they did that. People were like, "This is weird. We don't know if it's a good idea." But they didn't change their message. They didn't compromise ever. what they were doing. And ever. season after season, they continued to have the same large, you know, uh, or same like overarching message yes. of like what yes yeah and th and that that's that was good that's yeah i you know i th i think so i i i think it was uh, but but i also think that that was a time when things were not as broad i mean you know that was tom brown did that at his brand which was you know one of that emerging class of american brands you know it was happening in St. Laurent, but there weren't as many brands out there and there wasn't, no. there, there wasn't as much that was happening. Yeah. There were, and, there were no Shopify brands. There were no PayPal no, brands yeah. or any of that other stuff. And, and we didn't even get to, to, I think Shopify brands, which are to me, like that's the most interesting thing that's, that's going on right now within clothing. Um, but I, I, you know, I really, at the end of the day, and I hate to, you, you began this conversation by saying that I, had very strong opinions and I hate that I'm kind of ending on this note of like, I really don't know. I really, I really have no idea. And I think that the, the only thing I'm, I'm confident of is like, we will, if this is a very weird thing to be incredibly confident of, but like pleated pants are definitely coming back. Yeah. I, I know that without a doubt, like, because that is the, pant equivalent like the trouser equivalent of sweatpants essentially in my eyes oh like okay. that's how you make that case that case is very logical to a mass audience like we had the athleisure movement which had mass appeal because and i i'm throwing the biggest air quotes of all time around athleisure movement because i hate that phrase and i also don't even think it was a real thing that happened necessarily you mean but, just like guys wearing sweatpants with a top coat? yeah like that that didn't really happen that did that 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 happened within new york for like a blip yeah. that wasn't like a large movement yeah what, it, it what, didn't trickle down that, that much what actually happened there was that that conversation was so loud that people they took away like my sweatpants are fine to wear and yeah. so sweatpants became or this like jogger pant thing became really normal and men basically got the message that like comfort's totally cool like you can totally prioritize comfort which like we didn't need to hear like that we already know that but like it suddenly was being projected out of a hundred watt speaker into our eardrums like comfort go go for it and so you put on a pair of pleated pants you put or you put on a pant that's like slightly fuller a little bit wider and you're like these are really comfortable why why was i squeezing my legs or squeezing my crotch into very tight pants during the week only to go home and get sweatpants on the weekend and just be chill and be like, ah, oh, can I be comfortable? comfortable can I be comfortable all, all the time? Yeah. So I think that like that's how you make that case. Like to go back to how like some like you know J Crew will that's that if I was working at J Crew that's how I would push that or like I can say like I've written that article about pleated pants and that was the case I made. So like it's I'm being a little self satisfying here, but like you can definitely I mean. My my brother has pleated pants now. Like my brother is a graphic designer, lives in Brooklyn. Like not the most like hard to sell on fashion stuff, but like if it starts with the fashion guy and then it moves to like a creative creative in a different field, then it trickles down from there. In my opinion, like right. that's that's how you perceive that trickle down. And also, like you look at kind of what is being pushed out there in photo shoots or again like j crew does have like multiple i know i keep going back to them but they seem to be like i always use them as an as an example because they're like the mall brand that seems fashion conscious like right you can, you can get it in iowa and it seems self-aware and i hate to harp on iowa i love iowa i'm not, I'm not like one of those it's all right people. that's it's a good every town that we can name yeah, or, yeah like, right. or like indiana or what have you or, or like you know missouri or i'm just now i'm just listing states but yeah. <laughs> but you know what i mean like you can find a pleated pant there um or you can find a pleated pant on, on jcrew.com and it feels a little bit like that feels approachable yeah um and that also doesn't feel like it's going to upend the apple cart um so yeah i mean i think it's a good it's the positive effect of having so much noise is uh -huh. that there's more people to validate these like new trends in which you don't just have one person trying to do that and then hoping that a couple of big publications will do it. You yeah. there's like so much other people who 
are also feel validated by that person to experiment and it kind of trickles down from there. It's good. I mean, overall yeah. it's to me, it's an exciting time, but yeah, it's, I think it's tough um, to see that it's just not the way that, you know, at least for me was, was like maybe more comfortable to, to, to watch change. It's more of like, okay, I don't know. And yeah. maybe I'm not okay with that. I don't know. We're, I mean, we're all, we're all on ice flumes, you know, we're all just kind of floating and, yeah. and, and, and uh, I I think that um, th- that again is is why I'm very I feel very fortunate to be where I am. Where like I know my true north. Like I know that I have this this reader that's not concerned with ninety percent of what we probably just talked about. Um, and I also think that that's like. It is so weird that we came up, not weird, it's just like we came up through this movement that seemed very concrete. It had parameters. It had walls. Mm -hmm. We knew what men's fashion, to be fashionable within menswear, we we knew what that looked like. Mm -hmm. We knew knew what to look at. Now it just seems so broad that it's very hard to wrap your head around. Well, this was good. This was really good. Um, Is there there any other stuff you want to add or mention before we uh, we wrap up? No, I think that's it. It was a good conversation. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. All right, uh, man. Much appreciated. Yeah. Good talking to you. Yeah, same to you. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. I want to give a huge thanks again to Jacob for coming on. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast. Or send me an email at blamopodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.